This is Tech Talks Money, TechEU's fintech-focused podcast. My name is John Reynolds, the host. This week we've got two fabulous guests. We are joined by Benjamin Deplu, who is a partner at the French VC firm Briga and a former startup founder himself, and Florian Reichhardt, partner and managing director of Pickers Capital, the Munich headquartered early stage tech investment firm. So we're delighted uh, to have you both. Thanks very much. Can we just get, first of all, just a potted history of your careers today and and the firms you work with? So let's start with you, uh, Florian. Sure, of course. Uh, Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Um, a quick quick history on myself. So started my career actually in consulting. Was working mostly with financial institutions during that time. So banks, insurance companies uh, did a multitude of projects from you know different type of project optimization uh, pro- um, projects to reorganization of risk functions to launching actually a corporate VC for one of the banks there as well. Um, then moved to to Pickers Capital uh, in the very shortly after it was founded within Pickers have been um, focusing predominantly on everything fintech within Pickers at a global scale. Uh, we, we, I think we're going to talk about that a bit more in a, in a second. But I was also responsible for actually building out um, our new markets in Asia Pacific, launched the offices there, hired the teams on the ground, did our investments. Same for, for Latin America and also responsible for a couple of regions here in Europe, Europe like for example, France, Southern Europe. And on top of that, there's Israel. Okay, that's great. That's very uh, comprehensive. And just quickly, so I looked at your portfolio companies, and there's a few I know. I know Alma, which is a, a French buy now, pay later. And I think Salita Finance I've written about before. Are they who, yeah. who are kind of two or three which people might have heard of them? Maybe the, the, the most famous, if that's the white way to do Yes, of course. I think the the most famous ones in fintech are the, obviously the two you mentioned. I think um, people probably have heard of. I think another. One is Silverflow in our portfolio, which is this uh, new age payment processor mm-hmm. out, of, out of the Netherlands, founded by an ex-Adian team. Another one uh, is, for example, Ledge out of Israel. Um, very interesting payment reconciliation play for platforms with more complex payment flows. There's Billy in Germany um, or Narmi in the US, which is banking software in the US and also, I think, relatively well known. Okay, that, that's fantastic. And Ben, same question to you, a bit of an overview of your career and, and, and Briga, if I've pronounced it right there. And, and again, which are the kind of two or three standout uh, startups in, in the portfolio? Thank you for having me. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I started my career in, uh, in London, actually in M&A, but that was not tech related. So yeah, I spent four, four years uh, doing M&A before moving to the entrepreneur journey, actually. I kickstarted two uh, venture here in France in the accounting space. So um, Fred de la Conta and his uh, SaaS companion called Income. And long story short, we have been lucky enough to uh, to scale those two companies from zero to 120 people, raising roughly 15 million euros and doing accounting for uh, six to 7,000 SMBs. Um, so that was cool. I, I, I was in charge of strategy, finance, and part of the data stack here. Most of our uh, key feature was bookkeeping automation. Uh, that was before Penny Lane arrived, but uh, that was still a pretty cool journey. And those two companies existed to one industrial player for Fred de la Conta called uh, CGECO in France. And the other one has been acquired by Visma, the Norwegian P group, uh, which is pretty active uh, in France those days. 
Um, they had just acquired another company called Chain Trust. And uh, yeah, I, I moved to the VC side right after that. And uh, so I joined Brega roughly uh, 18 months ago. So as a quick reminder, we are a pan-European VC. Uh, we are now managing close to 600 mils, operating from London, Paris, Barcelona, and Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, and I focus on Series A and B in fintech, insurtech, and uh, cyberspace. So, uh, yeah, in the portfolio, we have quite cool companies. Uh, in the insurance space, we've got Mila, which is a full license dealing with in the real estate uh, space. Uh, Trustpair, which is a KYC, KYB uh, company dealing with the uh, enterprise segment. We, of course, have Exotech, which is now uh, a unicorn in France, where you call valuation in France. Um, yeah, and a lot of fintech that I can mention during the, the well, podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you've got Moneybox, haven't you, and Curve, which I guess I've read yeah. about. They're kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. UK listeners will, will, will perhaps know Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. That, that's fantastic. So let's talk about um, FinTech. It'd be great to get some insight for two, two people like you, really kind of close to the cold face of things, about FinTech themes in, in 2024. Now, I realise kind of FinTech's hard to define because uh, just about every company in the world seems to be a FinTech. But, I mean, if we can call about can think about kind of maybe what I would see as kind of maybe traditional fintechs like challenger banks, investment apps, neo lenders, buy now, pay later, and uh, money transfer apps as the bedrock. There's obviously last year, certainly from a journalistic perspective, there was quite a lot of uh, doom and gloom. There was lots of writing about down rounds, uh, job cuts, fintechs pulling back from markets, focus on profitability. Uh, and not growth. So, Florian, do, do I mean, are those themes going to continue or in 2024? Or are you kind of more upbeat about the sector, more positive? Yeah, no, so I think, to put it a bit in context, right, so if you look at fintech, I think it has been one of the hottest sectors over the last couple of years, so namely before 22, right, I think um, there has been a lot of funding flowing into fintech, which to some extent, also to be to be completely frank, was also in models that didn't um, that weren't too sustainable. If you if you mm-hmm. ask me, so I would say the the investment volume we see in fintech has has you know normalized a bit, right? So um, so I think that's that's one observation. If I think about how will the market continue to develop, I think we the the tight burdening as you uh, as you refer to it, I think. That's something that will continue to um, to happen, but I, I, in my opinion, that's something something healthy for the industry, right? Because I think even if funding volumes will come back this year, and and actually for that I have a uh, you know a more positive outlook than for twenty three. So I think we'll we'll see more and more activity, and I think the year started also in that direction. But we are, for example, also um, advising our portfolios even with funding volumes coming back to run a the business with a very close eye on profitability. Yeah? So, because I think historically with money being so cheap and with so much money in the market, and especially in the fintech market, uh, founders were tempted to, I would say, to overspend and grow inefficiently. So I think independent of what happens to funding volumes over the next couple of years, I think it's the right thing to do to manage your businesses, especially if you are in, in, a, in, in, a, in a growth stage much, much closer to profitability. So I would hope that, um, you know, founders continue to, to to execute that way. Okay, so you, you're kind of saying it's um, the sort of down rounds, what we saw of late, it's, it's been a necessary 
correction in the market. And I guess when I speak to people, they also, when I talk about down rounds, they say, you know, it's not a shameful thing and, and journalists really shouldn't be highlighting it as a, shame, a shameful thing. It's just a necessity of the market then. For me, a down round, not at all, is a shameful thing, right? If you look at a publicly listed company, you see that stock uh, going up and down every time and not and not every time the, the stock goes down, people say, oh, oh, it's, it's a down round now. Yeah. Or the, right? Because it's, it's just a normal thing, right? That there are fluctuations in value in, in, in a business. The only thing that in a privately financed business is that you have a much more infrequent valuation um, ev- uh, valuation um, events, which which I think put more emphasis on the individual evaluation event. And um, yeah, so I think I wouldn't negatively connotate it. I would rather say it, it's 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 something that was a correction in the market. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. And Ben, I think speak. I mean, of late, I've been kind of writing quite a lot of upbeat stories about uh, fintechs launching in new markets. I interviewed the boss of the UK boss of Robinhood, which has launched into the UK. Uh, another one was a small rival to the transfer to Wise, which is launching in new markets. And Florian will probably know, you both might know Mondu, who I recently interviewed, and they're launching into new markets. So, I mean, are you, do you think we're going to see uh, a lot more of fintechs launching into new markets or is it a kind of um, retrenching and staying in their own markets and kind of keeping their current customers happy? What, 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 what kind of themes do you think you're going to see in, in 2024? I guess back to uh, Florian's point, um, business has to be more efficient and profitable. Mm. while maintaining, uh, let's say, a, a very efficient growth. So it depends from one company to another. But at some point, um, as the market, and you were mentioning down run, and I'm fully aligned, it's, it's, it's no big deal. I mean, just the market correction in the new environment. So at some point, people can find new market share in new countries, in new territories, and that's fine. But they have to be super powerful there, I guess. They need to be defensible in the in the value prop. It doesn't have to be only an execution play. I think if they just want to grow and spend money in the new market, it's it's not it's not good enough. Uh, they have to be uh, fairly innovative, uh, fairly um, and very difficult to reproduce in the local market. Um, so I guess for those people that are let's say, leaning on the legacy product and don't have too much to offer to, uh, to, uh, to, to new markets, it's, it's, I, I guess they will, they will, they will stay to, to local markets. But mm-hmm. uh, when you have, um, when you have uh, a new value prop, something that is very innovative with a pricing power and, and you are pretty much capitalized, I think it's worth having a look on new territories. But from one company to another, it will differ quite a lot. And back to Florian point, when you are between Series A and Series B, it's it's a big choice to take to uh, conquer new ground in new uh, new countries. Yeah. If you fail to do so, your equity story will be more complex for raising uh, the next round. Okay, that's great. That's very eloquent. And both of you, or Florian, um, just on, uh, I mentioned the job cuts, which no one likes to write about. But I think... Um, you mentioned kind of the good times in, in 2021, 2022, maybe. Do you think, um, I think some of the, the fintech bosses came out and admitted that they'd overhired during that period. Um, and do you think, um, 
a lot of fintechs have been guilty of overhiring when the going's good and they kind of reaping the uh, the consequences uh, perhaps last year and this year to an extent in terms of having to make job cuts. Yeah, so I think if you if you look at, I think it's every industry, it's not just the tech industry. Mm. In times of growth, I think people tend to get more inefficient because obviously, you know, you try to uh, solve a lot of problems with more manpower. So that's why I think even in mature industries, um, you know, you can take every industry, the automotive industry, but you can also take Microsoft, uh, Google and Facebook. Um, when the markets get tougher, I think people reshift focus from growth on efficiency. And then you see, then essentially you uncover um, the inefficiencies in a company and to, that, to some extent also people having overhired. So I think it's also a relatively normal phenomenon of, of, of markets, which, which, you know, which, which grow, like, which will enable, which allow for such strong growth from a capital perspective. So I also wouldn't see this necessarily as a bad sign of, as a sign of a bad business if a company has to let go people. Obviously, it's, it's something which, which is always a difficult topic and something which, which you don't wish for and hope for. However, I wouldn't say if a company has to has to let go of few people to to save actually the or to um, yeah to 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 improve the trajectory of the business as a whole and all the other employees. I wouldn't see this necessarily as a bad sign for the business itself. Um, it's just a, 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 like I think um, probably in most mm. cases the right decision to to foster efficiency in the in the business. I just wish to say at this point that I'm sure the listeners are aware, but both my guests are speaking not in their first language and are doing a very good job of speaking very eloquent English. Um, so just on top of that, I mean, can you talk about what advice you're giving to your portfolio companies? I mean, what, what what's the kind of, and how does that differ from, from perhaps last year and years before? What, what are their principal con- concerns? Is, is it money? Is it sh- ensuring they've got a long enough runway or is it, concerns about talent or I mean how are those conversations different this year or likely to be different from previous years uh, Florian yeah I think to be honest they're not too different from from last year or also end of 22 I think also for for me my I'm, I'm still early in my VC career I would say I started like more than six years ago so for me it was also learning to see actually the how the how the times changed between 21 and and, and even now and now but for us, it's not just about money and efficiency, right? That's one thing, and I mentioned that, right? We think it's 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 very important that you run a business with strong economics, strong unit economics from day zero. That's actually something we've always ranked very high when we did our investment decisions, that the economics, unit economics need to make sense and need to be sustainable from day zero. But at the same time, something we... we, we um, emphasize a lot with founders um, in these days, also before, but especially these days, that to actually focus on your product in the sense of that is it is something, and we're talking especially in the B2B context, something which we call tier one spend at a customer. Tier one spend being something you don't rip out independent of how bad the economy and the business goes, right? So we're mm-hmm. talking HR software. We are talking mm-hmm. um, your treasury system, right? We are talking your peer, your 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 acquire your acquiring solution, right? So and that's something where we try to foster pe- uh, businesses, especially in the early stages, to you know not focus on 
acquiring customers with low ACVs at a very large scale, but rather try to establish very deep customer relationships from early on mm -hmm. and maybe justify a bit of growth in exchange for that. Okay, that's interesting. Ben, do you, do you agree with that? Or? Yeah, I think um, on the portfolio side of things, again, I'm, pre I'm pretty new to, uh, to the VC uh, space as well, uh, only two years, uh, to be fair. But yeah, I guess it's, it's tough time for, for founders. So as a, as a board member, you need to be there for the founders. That's, that's, that's crystal clear. I guess the, the conversation is more about Uh, the ratio, the financial side of things. I need mean, when it comes to budgets. Um, on in our side, on our side, we are thinking for for investment to pay in terms of business, unlocking the upside uh, of business. And when it comes to product, fully aligned with Florian, uh, I mean, it has to create a defensibility in the long term for your company. Um, and I mean showing resilience, keeping the, the, the company even if there is some layoff. And I, I think it's natural at some point if it's needed for the business, keeping the company uh, as wanted, the tip focus, keep the momentum going up. It's, it's pretty tough. So it's, it's a mix between giving them uh, energy, giving them the, the um, let's, let's say, the, the, the ecosystem uh, feedback, showing them what's the right path and helping them to find the right path as well. Um, but in, in, in the, in the end, it's, uh, it's, it's building the, the strongest company and remaining as agile as possible. Okay. That's, that's great. So uh, I think in my intro bit, I mentioned some of those, uh, kind of fintech subsectors like, um, uh, challenger banks, investment apps, buy now, pay later and money transfer. I mean, they're kind of well established. It'd be great to get your opinion, both of you on what the, what the hot, kind of fintech areas to invest in in 2024? I mean, is it, I think in 2023, there was a lot of focus maybe on, on B2B uh, and not B2C. I mean, what, Ben, what, what, what's, I mean, which are the kind of areas where you're seeing the most exciting uh, fintech tech at the moment? I guess there is still a lot of thing to do in the CFO stack uh, from enterprise to SMB. Um, actually, with this AI wave, um, there is a lot of things to be done in the financial planning space. I mean, you have to consider that most of the time you lean on bookkeeping's data, which is pretty tough to import in the financial planning, and AI can help quite a lot in that regard. And um, and I mean, in the middleware, which I, I would say I will position this bucket between, let's say, bookkeeping and financial planning, which is account receivable and account payable and procurement for enterprise, I think in the CFO stack, there is still a lot of opportunity to be taken. And I think 2024 will be um, an interesting time to invest in those in those buckets, I guess. Okay. And what, I mean, AI, what, what percentage of the startups you see uh, are kind of, have got some kind of AI involvement? Is it, is it, or is it like goes beyond that? It's just a kind of an a expectation now, or is it, I mean, is it a high percentage or? Yeah, I guess in fintech, it's still pretty low. I mean, you have AI involved, but it's, it's most for workflow automation. It's not at the heart of the product. And I think that's, uh, the, the opportunity for the, for the next years. Actually, in fintech, AI first company, they are, let's say, uh, from what I see, maybe 25% of the company has AI first, comp are AI first company, but they are more leaning on workflow automation, which is 
good for ops and it's uh, it creates efficiency, but it's not at the heart of the product. Meaning that uh, when you have to deal with complex product, especially insurance company for insurance company to deal with complex complex risk, like as climate, as cyber, or this kind of stuff, or when it comes to CFO stack, when you have to deal with very complex data, AI can kick in, can kick in and actually create, uh, I think, very interesting product. Okay, that's fantastic. Florian, same question? Yeah, um, so I think um, he's totally right. On the CFO suite, uh, CFO stack, I think we see a lot of movement. We always refer to that to the procure-to-pay journey, so starting from procurement to ultimately executing the payment um, uh, within the finance team. So I think there we've seen the likes of Pivot, Payflows, Embat, and so on, I think getting a lot of momentum in the market. So that's definitely, a, a, I think, a, a heat, heated space. So I, I won't talk more about that given, given it was already covered. I personally think, and you mentioned B2B, also is that we've seen a lot of promising early stage funding for infrastructure plays when it comes to, to, fin to fintech and especially payments. Where, 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 and I think all of these have a bit longer time to market because you have much more product to build, right? So a lot of them, are, I think, will now this year and the next year move into very interesting um, stages of scale to make them very attractive also for, for growth capital. So I think we're going to see, especially on the later stage side, quite a bit happening on, on, on that side, meaning some of the B2B infrastructure plays in our portfolio that, for example, would be the silver flow that would be a get paid um, as an example. I think um, with the rise of, of new business or like let's say, different type of commerce over the last couple of years, right? Much more is shifting towards platforms, mm. creating also much more complexity for, again, the finance team um, of those platforms, meaning managing a very uh, a much more complex um, volume of payments, different, compl more complex structure of payments in the sense of, type of payments uh, where we believe strongly in the entire reconciliation angle of it, especially for, for such uh, for, for platforms like marketplaces, but also vertical SaaS players, which, you know, uh, facilitate more and more a large number of, of transactions. So that's a big theme, which we think will, will get more and more momentum in the next couple of years. Um, so there's no, I mean, that's really interesting, but there's no, for a journalist, I guess journalists want like hot, sexy, consumer facing fintech. So we're not going to see, there's not going to be much activity in those areas then. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think the, if you look at, at the models in consumer, right, they typically go hand in hand with like a more costly acquisition, mm -hmm. uh, which requires on the, uh, at the same time, uh, more capital. And therefore that is obviously the funding market. Is, is more difficult. Not saying they won't they won't come up, but I'm just saying it's it will be more difficult to 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 get growth capital for these acquisition heavy con consumer plays. So what we see there is actually again more B two B software, but enabling um, selling to consumers. Like for example, if you refer to the investment apps, you referred to Robinhood earlier, right? We see for example activity allowing financial advisors, family offices, and so on to cater consumers with a more tech and with a, with a tech solution, essentially, and essentially giving, allowing them to have a similar offering to some of the neo brokers out there. So we see again that mm. touching the end consumer with their, with the solution, but we see them being distributed B2B where I think there we, we would definitely see more momentum than in the pure uh, B2C um, fintech angle. 
Okay, that's really interesting. And last question on, on this. So th- this week in, in the UK, there was a, a big story about on, on, on FIDO, which is a London-based ID verification unicorn, which is likely to be bought by Entrust, this US-based, I'm sure you were, this US-based payment company. So, I mean, that's, that's obviously a boost, a big boost for startups. Are we going to see more exits, high-profile exits this year and uh, IPOs, that, that window's still closed is it uh, uh ben so i mean let's hope that the MA market will uh came up again i think 2023 was pretty poor in that regard um i still think that i don't know about the the giant exit uh but uh this is good news that uh there is fresh news in the market and transaction actually happening because the interest rate i mean makes those transactions more difficult uh, mm-hmm. at higher valuation, but um, this is also a time of consolidation, as I guess, because uh, you still have very large company, very well capitalized company that can acquire new market shares to have broader um, value proposition. Um, I think about neo banks in France, uh, large uh, fintech players that uh, are not. I guess not in the consumer space, but in the SMB space and in the mid market space, I think that we will see some operations there. Um, and I fully agree on the IPO side of things. I guess the window is still pretty close um, um, in terms of valuation. I mean, the gap between uh, late stage valuation and IPO valuation, you need to be very profitable and grow quite rapidly to uh, to find the right spot. But, um, and I guess very tra- more traditional players will have a look on startup and uh, later stage startups because I think they are pretty late in the market and they have to, um, do, do some moves to, uh, mm. to remain uh, competitive and innovative. Okay. And Florian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think, um, ultimately agree on the, on the IPO window, I think, especially in Europe. If we see the first ones again throughout this year, but it's uh, for sure going to be slow volumes. So, um, because I think if you want to IPO these days, as um, as was pointed out already, right, is that there needs to be growth plus profitability. I don't, I don't think the window is open for for high loss making businesses these days in Europe. And if you ask about M and A activity, I think for sure yes, because I think for me it's a very natural uh, development with a more tightened uh, growth funding environment that there the the exit route is 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 a route which which many companies have to take because they for them the growth capital route is getting either not avail is is not available or it's getting less attractive because mm-hmm. of higher dilution and and, and and lower valuation and at the same time it off it, it at the moment it offers a chance for some of the more incumbent and 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 more traditional players to to maybe do a good bargain with some of the uh, new tech innovators. So I think from the, this, this development will, or the current market will definitely foster that in development further. Okay, that's great. That's really insightful. Now, just obviously that's focused on the fintech and start. Let's just a few questions on the, uh, the VC market, which I'm not really a, an expert on. Um, I think this year or last year, I've written stories about, um, for instance, uh, Anderson Horowitz. So there have been examples of US VCs coming to uh, the UK, and I think there's been examples of VCs, US VCs, which are in the UK, exiting 
the the UK. What are the? I mean, can you talk about a bit about Germany and France and the VC ecosystem? Start with you, Florian. I mean, what 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 are the kind of big big challenges facing? Uh, VCs uh, in Germany at the moment? I know that's a big question, but are there kind of two or three of the big challenges? What, what would they be? So I think one challenge, it's not Germany specific for me, that's at the global level, is that we see on the early, that's a challenge as an early stage investor, I would say. Yeah. We see in the, at the early stage the valuations not being as adjusted as they are in, in, in the later stages. Mm. Meaning, your upside from a pre-seed or seed round to an A or B round is getting compressed quite a bit. Okay. Meaning the you know while the while yeah. you get very harshly evaluated at revenue multiples once you are at la- the latest Series B, uh, which have to somehow you know be justifiable towards the public multiples that you're seeing in the in the early stage, we haven't seen valuations come down that significantly. You know, multiples on the later stage side, they halved or even decreased further. While I would say on the on the early stage side, we've maybe seen initial valuations decrease by 50% or so. So I think the, the, the valuation uplift you can generate between the very early stage and, the, and, the, and the, the A and B rounds, I think they get squeezed. However, at the same time, the A and B rounds... Mm-hmm. Getting, and that's, I think, especially a challenge for general European investors are getting more and more competitive because if you the activity has been less in the in the early stages meaning the potential targets for the a and b and, and uh, investors that are coming up in the next one or two years is is this is getting less right so there will be much more competition for each individual target which i think leads um a lot of investors to to preempt and again even pay sometimes even crazy prices Mm. But it is especially challenging because the U.S. funds are still active here, and obviously they have um, you know deep deep pockets of capital. Mm. Still, there's a lot of tri powder out there, plus strong brand name brand names. I think that makes it especially for the you know the the, the, the growth investors here in Europe. I think quite challenging over the next um, over the next couple of years. How is that going? Is that going to result? That's a year-wide thing. Is, that, is that, how is that going to resolve itself, or it's not, or is it going to get worse, or? I would say to be seen. I think it's up to the to the VCs to to strengthen their positioning yeah. in the sense of you know winning these deals against against big US brand names. And I think, as you pointed out, some of the US funds have actually pulled back from Europe. So I think it will be in terms of their presence, but they still invest here. So I think it will be tougher for them actually to be as valuating as a local European investor because obviously, if you only focus on Europe, you have people on the ground here. You should be able to add more value than someone, um, you know, just yes. in, uh, give, uh, providing capital from from outside. So I think that's it should resolve for the funds, and and I think the funds have to do, you know, better work in improving their value to to founders which which have the luxury then of picking between the European and the and the US fund. Okay, that's an excellent point. And Ben, same question to you. So I guess on the French ecosystem. Um, pretty similar so i think the the valuation on the seed side of thing uh is still pretty high um so the math for work to to work for as a as a a b investor is is pretty tough um and for entrepreneur taking the north face which is very ambitious project they are still pretty active us found that try to preempt those uh, those deals so you need to show your value definitely as as a VC, not only as capital, but 
as a value creator, door opener, and so on. So I think at Bregao, our DNA is being entrepreneur first. Everyone in the investment team has been an entrepreneur. So is to help them to, um, to let's say, uh, navigate in this environment that is pretty tough. Uh, sometimes you have to take tough decisions and uh, being there for them in the in the long in the long term is is uh, is pretty important and um, and and of course as a VC we you know you, we are a financial products so the fundraising part is pretty tough those days because compared to other financial products uh, we are not as fancy as before because of the int- the current interest rate and uh, for for the companies that are not performing well. I mean, at some point, the M&A market have to kick in because we have to give money back to our uh, end investors. And uh, in that regard, it's also make our position as a board member evolve. Um, for sure, we're going to invest in the long term for a company that are uh, that are having a very cool trajectory. But for the other one, I guess it's it's the VC play. It's, uh, it, they have to be ambitious. So at some point, if it not kicks it kicks in, in the perform as a performance of uh, a play, you have to uh, you have to go for M and A. So okay. I guess it's it's uh, it's going to be a very very interesting year because um, I mean the, the the market is changing quite fast in that regard. I guess. Okay, that that is really fascinating. Um, I'm afraid that we've only had kind of one or two questions on the VC market, which is a real shame, but we could do again. And um, we're really very appreciative, uh, Ben and Florian. Uh, that's really informative uh, for taking time out to speak to us. And that's been the Tech EU FinTech podcast. If you've liked the show or not, go ahead and hit subscribe, like, rate us. We'll see you next time.